Pint Hold Podcast, Episode 3. 3! What is an agenda? What is it? What is it? We are going to deep dive into it for you. Very but first, but first, we thought it would be a fun element to add moving forward for all of our little podcasts to just quickly say something that we're grateful for and just have ex- expressed gratitude because it's a really healthy, um, it's a healthy what is it? What am I trying to say? Healthy idea. It's a healthy mindset to put yourself in to be grateful for something. Um, so since this was my idea, I will take the pressure off you and I'll go first. <laughs> um, so my first quick gratitude I would like to give is to my friend Megan, who is a nurse in New Jersey and, you know, going in every day with limited resources to save the lives of people who are uh, really sick and she's doing a really great job and she deserves the world after this and during um so i'm really grateful for megan oh and my friend vera my friend vera is a nurse in north carolina i didn't forget her i just was focusing on one but Vera too. Mine is just going to piggyback off of that and say I am very grateful for all the essential workers out there right now who are just keeping it going. You know, it's not it's not easy right now and it's it's pretty risky to be out like delivering postmates orders and right. making I mean, not that, I don't I don't know if that has been deemed an essential worker necessarily well, but they're allowed to work. So, so yeah. Yeah, there's there's tons of people just that are still out there hustling and it's it is not easy and it is not safe but they they're doing what they need to do and it's it's really it's really amazing so I'm definitely grateful for that and of course all the all the nurses and doctors and people on the front lines protecting society and counter protesting people who are trying to just inhibit them from doing that yeah it's yeah it is it's wild is a the wild west sometimes it is and i mean i remember when all this first started i was reading an article from a from a nurse in new york i'm pretty sure being interviewed and they were saying how whenever whenever healthcare workers signed up for this job they they didn't expect to be martyrs in this way and i think i think it's it's pretty remarkable to think that all these all these people who dedicated their lives to protecting people and keeping people safe are now being put at such risk and it's it's pretty pretty impactful and moving when you think about it so yes we're we're very grateful for all, all the people who are out there keeping people safe all my nurse friends christy nikki my aunt Heather. Aunt Heather. The, we we stand <laughs> Aunt Heather and my friends who are out there. I so much love and respect to all of them. Yeah. They deserve so much. Um what was I gonna say? That's it. That's all I got. But moving right along, I guess the Macarena genre is children's music. It says it's about a girl, a a woman who wants to get men to dance with her and if she likes their moves, she'll take them home. But when I scroll down, it says artist. Okay, well, 
The artist is wrong, but is his artist Macarena <laughs> false <laughs> album? I can't pronounce Who that. Who sings it? I am not sure. And then it says released in 93 and the genre is children's music, which is absolutely false. I mean, honestly, what isn't music for children? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, the music I was listening to when I was a child was definitely not children's music per se. Like the first CD I remember buy, buying was um, TLC fan mail, which not is children's not children's music, music at all. <laughs> Do you want to know what my first CD was, though? Do you want to know? Yes, tell me. Yes, of course. Tell me. Lay it on me. You already know. Savage Garden. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) That's right. This kid was paralyzed in front of the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards Mm -hmm. when Savage Garden busted out, I want you, and didn't say, didn't ask for permission. They just did it, no. and I all six years of me was like, Mm-mm, "No way." I know. <laughs> I was I was the same when I was seven, listening to the fan mail CD, <laughs> which I'm looking at the track listing now includes songs like "Silly Ho," and um, <laughs> "Don't Pull Out on Me Yet." <laughs> what did you think that was about when you were six or seven? How old you were? I was not thinking about it at all. I was probably singing the words or making up words <laughs> that went along to it that were not the right <laughs> words, obviously, and just loving the beats. Yeah, I guess that's really you know? what it's all about when you all. That's what it's all about when you're a kid is what it makes you feel. I was chained to the rhythm. Yeah, weren't we all? I still am. <laughs> I literally have an addiction to a song. When I when a song hits me, I'm a, I like need it, like. I crave it. Like I, how I imagine people who are addicted to cigarettes crave cigarettes. That is how I feel about songs mm-hmm. sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, same. I don't know. I don't know what that says about us. I don't know. Um, well, I guess that's what pop music is made for. It's supposed to be catchy and sticky like that. So Yeah. I feel like my brain has receptors that are specifically, like, acutely aligned with whatever those producers were making. Like, I am the ideal Mm -hmm. audience for them. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't work with, like, new music, though. It's just older stuff. Like, older stuff, I guess. Yeah, I guess older stuff, older, like, mass-produced pop music in the 90s, there were only so many producers who were making that music that was being put out on, like, top 40 radio or whatever so you were just hearing that same sound all the time and that became familiar I mean even I mean Max Martin has a specific specific example you think about like Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears I mean those are my two I listened to Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears just on repeat as a child so I was just (laughs) being constantly exposed to Max Martin and then anything I heard from him after that is like oh yeah obviously I like this Right. It sounds it sounds familiar. You're you're just like, well, this I know by default I like this. Yeah. So I think it is those those receptors and those just pathways in your brain are created or just developed in a way to be um sensitive to that music, I guess. It's pretty yeah. crazy. I mean, I still don't think that makes sense why the Macarena is listed as children's music. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess all that to say, what is children's music, actually? Someone should get get over to the Macarena Wikipedia page and make some edits, Fix I guess. It. <laughs> Whoever's in charge. Fix it. Whoever owns that catalog. Where? You, got some, you got some admin to do. <laughs> Where are they? Why are we doing your admin? Right. I don't I have too many other things I'm responsible for. I can't also be held accountable for the Macarena. God. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to hold you accountable for that. Let's move on. Moving right so along. So Savage Garden, that was your first your first CD was Savage Garden. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's let's talk about that because <laughs> I put on Crash and Burn last weekend for the first time and I guess had to have been maybe a year since I'd heard yeah. it it'd been a minute I wasn't I wasn't regularly jamming that that song. song creeps up on on people I think you like remember it and you're like holy shit this may be the greatest song ever written I agree <laughs> because that is exactly the reaction I felt when I listened to it again for the first time <laughs> in a year or so I was it was a reawakening I couldn't that song is is another level. It, it, it I, I get chills when I hear it. Yeah, I it feel does. upset. I feel happy. I feel like comfortably seen. <laughs> comfortably like, seen, to be clear. Yeah. Also, I, I, when you, I remember you asking me because we were both like live, wa- like watching this and texting each other, like freaking out about this song. You were like, right. You were like, did Max Martin produce this? And I was like, I don't think so. And then we looked, yeah. And he didn't. He had, was nowhere near them. And they like wrote and produced no. everything, like maybe alongside like a world renowned like label provided producer. But they did everything. Like their dem. We we found their demos and we listened to them. We did. They're on YouTube. They're on YouTube. You just type in Savage Garden demo and they're there and they like it the songs are like true to whatever like they turned into it's very much the same song which is pretty amazing for you know the 90s yeah Ugh. i love that we live in a time where you can just find that stuff online so to the audience i'm a big fan and i know aubrey is too of watching like vintage concert footage um specifically entire tours from the 90s and I couldn't find an entire Savage Garden live tour on YouTube, which just seems wrong. And yeah, it is wrong. It is wrong. And when I Googled it, Amazon provided. Like, fuck that, but they did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I I did that. But I bought... I'm sorry we have to endorse Jeff Bezos right now, uh, but, you know... It, it was there, and I... It was on credit where credit is due. <laughs> I give him credit where credit is due. I bought the entire... What is it? <laughs> Superstars and Cannonballs, I think is what it's called. Uh, yeah, yeah Superstars and Cannonballs tour DVD, and... I can't wait to watch it. I feel like I, I feel like a genius for buying it, but maybe not. It's gonna be so fun to watch. Yeah, it's gonna be so fun to watch. I think, and we can move on after this. I think Savage Garden was one of the greatest, like masterpieces of '90s pop. 
top like perfection in the history of that decade and they only put out two albums and I think that that is unfortunate but they're two of the greatest albums ever created so yeah I do think I need to watch that you know what you can't catch lightning in a bottle you gotta just let it strike and enjoy it for what it is and that's what Savage Garden is they Mm -hmm. they struck they struck the world intensely with all of their amazing amazing hits including Crash and Burn including I Want You including To the Moon and Back all of them I can't even talk about I Want You right now don't even mention that music video to me yeah I was just gonna say I would strongly recommend to anyone who's tuning into our podcast that you watch the music video for I Want You it is and so much to absorb. <laughs> it is so much to absorb. It's also everyone is ripping off the Savage Garden brand in 2020 is is another is another observation we've made. Everyone so. is ripping off Savage Garden because they don't think that anyone will notice. And we noticed we really noticed big time i think that if you watch a savage garden interview you'll and you are like tuned in to like indie pop you'll know Mm -hmm. you'll know even his even darren's spoken voice is being ripped off and i'm not calling the police i'm just saying it's true (laughs) (laughs) listen we're just here to observe on this podcast and and let the people know what we're seeing so we'll just leave it at that but I do think Savage Garden was a perfect pop band, and I I was so happy to stumble back upon that song a week ago, and it just it truly lit up my life for for a while. I am and still lit the fuck up. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I yeah yeah oh yeah same definitely. I I love it. It's so good. It's just the sugariest pop you've ever heard. But I wouldn't even say it's like sugary. I would say like. Britney Spears is, like, sugary. I feel like it's, like, almost leaning into, like, adult contemporary, which is a whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess sugary is a subjective way of describing it. I guess I more so mean that it just grabs you so instantaneously and it's Mm -hmm. so undeniable and it's, it's like you were saying, it's that rush, right, and, like, gives you so much adrenaline and you don't even know what hit you with songs like that. And it's, it is really amazing to think about back to like Max Martin and the sort of producers who are creating that sound. And you and I were talking about the producer for Sa- or one of Savage Garden's producers. Their producer won producer of the year for My Heart Will Go On. I don't know the timeline of that, but he also did Savage Garden albums. So like clearly <laughs> they're amazing. They're undeniably perfect (laughs) what kind of range is that that is i don't know amazing it's it's like this guy here's 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 how i feel about producers and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong you aubrey or anyone who's listening producers i think in pop music or popular music whether that's like rap hip-hop or country just pop like that sound that radio music 
It's mm-hmm. the producers who can get closest to hitting. Okay, I'm going to say something that's a little bit crass, but I, this YouTube comment I saw about Savage Garden said, his voice hits the G spot in my ears, which I think is <laughs> incredible because it's that true. Is. That's like yeah. what that music sounds like. It just hits exactly. you in like a part of you that is like, it, it's like a, like a serotonin receptor that is so specific to that sound and those frequencies that they sci- these producers scientifically figure out it's like very much like a math and physics science that they do um and uh, yeah i think what makes a good producer in the pop sphere is getting so close and almost perfecting that like those frequencies and being able to like layer harmonies and layer vocal line like vocal parts in like such a way that's like it's not in your face and it's still blended and you can hear every single harmony it could be like six lines and you hear every single one crystal clear without them overpowering the other it's like the producers who do the best in that space specifically not like less mainstream music that's not going for that i think is different but these producers who can nail those frequencies and nail that style like those are the ones who come out on on top like and all of that comes along with access to rooms and boards and tech that you know you only get after a certain amount of time of being like in the game and being like you know an indentured servant more or less to studio yeah. life um but yeah i just i think producers in the pop space they're the the genius comes from them being having ears that are made of gold and minds that decipher frequencies that in a way that we can't uh or don't know how to or don't have the tools and then putting that all together and and hearing good music and knowing how to like take a song from like its infancy to like a fully formed idea i mean shit this guy who i cannot like pronounce his last name but the producer who did savage garden and mariah and Mm -hmm. Celine for freaking Titanic. I mm-hmm. mean, like he's he's just got some ears, man. Yeah, he's got some sure ears, and I'm sure he has some references that musically that maybe other people don't have. And I don't know. You gotta you gotta listen to music to be able to make music that way. It's just like it's just like they say about writers. If you're a writer, you have to read. It's the same thing with making music, and you have to have to have a pretty broad scope of what what resonates with people in that subliminal way and it's it's a pretty pretty crazy it's amazing. Uh, repertoire yeah it is amazing and I think it's also interesting to think about that sort of process or climb to get to that place where you're not paying your dues anymore like you were just saying in the, in the studio world especially um cuz we were talking about not only Savage Garden I've been on a, just a crazy 90s pop kick I don't know why I think it has to do with being in quarantine and that is truly my comfort zone listening to that music it makes me feel so safe and secure mm-hmm. and just like held you know what I mean yeah and um, so I was listening to Garth Brooks also, which is another one. Very different lane than Savage But Garden, not really. But a- not really. I think it's very similar in like what it 
what they're delivering. I think it's very similar. I wouldn't say it's. I mean, similar. yeah. If if you want to, if we want to really go there to the similarities, there are some Savage Garden songs where Darren Hayes is a hundred percent singing country vocal runs. I want you, know? you like, is a country I, song. Like, let's be clear. It is. <laughs> it's a country song. <laughs> it is. It's crazy to think about now. Anyway, that's really neither here nor there. But Garth Brooks absolutely adore Garth Brooks um, as a person from Texas. It's just like you heard it a lot in the 90s. So um, I was looking for a song on Spotify to listen to and I saw that none of his discography is on Spotify or Apple Music. So I had to get deep in YouTube as as we did with Savage Garden also to find the demos and the and the deep cut Australian videos that exist from Don't Savage Garden. Don't even bring those up to me right now. <laughs> There's so much content online about Savage Garden just for anyone who is interested. Those interviews are like artwork to me. They are. So I was in this. I was in the same world. Um, for Garth Brooks and I was trying to find videos and I really wanted to hear Standing Outside the Fire which was my mom's favorite song she would play it she had a Garth Brooks um, greatest hits CD set that she would just play in the car all the time and that was my favorite song always and I wanted to hear it so I went and looked for it and it wasn't on any of the streaming services so I went to YouTube and found a live video of him performing that. And I think it, I don't remember the year it was in the video, like 94, I think it said. Um, and it was just amazing. And I fell into this similar kind of spiral and wanting to know more about just Garth Brooks and everything that was going on with him in that time. And I didn't, I didn't quite go as far as we did with Savage Garden, but I was talking to my mom about it and she was... She was talking to me about how my uncle, who lives in Nashville and has always been a musician and sort of did some country music session work and then went out on tour with country bands doing their sound and was a front of house guy in country music for a long time and has has retired from that now. But he's he is as Nashville as Nashville music people come. So anyway, she was telling me about how he rented um, an apartment, a basement apartment from this woman who was his friend and technically his landlord or roommate or whatever, however you want to look at it. But she worked at Capital Nashville, which was the record label that Garth Brooks was signed to for pretty much all of his career until he left in 2005, I think, um, to do everything independently. Because at that point, I mean, Garth Brooks sold um, so many records and it's like, why, why have a record label at that point, <laughs> obviously. But, um, so my uncle's roommate slash friend worked at Capitol Nashville as the receptionist at the time. And she was going through some health concerns and problems. And apparently Garth Brooks, whenever he heard that my uncle's friend was dealing with all of this as someone that worked at his label, he paid for a private car to pick her up and take her home from work every single day at the label. That's really just and the most pure thing I've ever heard. I know. It's so, I could, I was so just humbled and loved Garth even more than I already did when my mom told me that story from my uncle. And she was telling me about how this woman at Capital Nashville, um, 
she was in a band, a Nashville sort of local pop 80s rock band called In Pursuit, which also exists on YouTube if anyone's interested. <laughs> no DSPs, because just very, very deep in the archives. But so I went and looked into that a little bit more. And this band, um, it was her and two other guys in the band. And one of the guys, one of the other guys uh, is this producer named Jay Joyce, who now is this big Nashville country producer for like Carrie Underwood and Zach Brown Band and um, Eric Church, mm-hmm. Keith Urban, just like the list goes on. And it's it's so interesting to think about it as as we're talking about with pop music and how these producers have these crazy topsy-turvy um, just stories and journeys to getting to where they end up and land. And this guy, as an example, had had all these 80s pop rock bands. And then that's who's creating the sound for people that I just mentioned. And it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting to think about all of that and all the just the way that people get to that point and sort of is there an agenda involved? Are you trying to climb through the ranks of a studio or are you just kind of going through the motions of something and eventually landing in a place where all of your skill sets and all of the things that you've learned and absorbed over the years are now being put in a place where you can apply them constructively to something. I mean, Music production is obviously a very specific example in what we're talking about right now because we're on this like pop tangent, right. but um, I think it applies in a lot of different ways. And I think it leads into our broader conversation today about what is an agenda and how does that tie in to where you're going or where you're trying to go, whether it's in your career or in your personal life or really anything. And I think there's a lot of different ways um, that things sort of pan out and eventually just m- or move in certain directions, I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, it it's just really hard. Like, we had an idea for this episode that is so solid, and we can, re- like, we are going to really talk about it. Um, and just also wanted, wanting to talk about what we've been like our intake uh, of media over the past week has been, yeah, like you said, like pop, country, pop, pop. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think like I, I, for me, when I read about producers I like or music or like going to those like YouTube holes of just like demo interview concert, like when I get in, yeah. in that place, it's because I'm. I'm seeking out some connection that will make everything make sense, <laughs> I guess. Like, when yeah. I read that New Yorker article about Max Martin, when I found, and in it, I found out he was a French horn player and that, you know, I knew right. English wasn't his first language already, obviously. But when I found out right. he was a French horn player, my brain just started unraveling, like, Uh, or I guess putting together like being that I come from like a classical music background like that's what got me into any everything and anything I'm doing is playing music yeah I I, when I was like holy shit he was a French horn he is a 
French horn player. That is the instrument he chose, probably because it looked cool, because that's how kids pick instruments. <laughs> but Yeah, definitely. But the French horn in, in an orchestral setting is, like, king. Like, if you... You know, you, the French horn usually doesn't get put into a kid's hands until they've played like a trumpet or like clarinet or a flute because those are more introductory and French horn is a little bit more um, nuanced and just like requires a little bit more ear training. But yeah. when you get to that place of like understanding where that instrument sits in a piece of music, it's like it plays it. it French horn does counter melody. It does. It, it amplifies the second flute part. It amplifies um kind of these frequencies like i was saying earlier about producers and like what they hear mm. the french mm-hmm. horn plays up these like colors and frequencies that to the untrained ear they're sometimes hard to pick up when you're listening to like a an orchestral piece of music but what they add yeah. is just like truly this color and this tone and timbre that is untouchable by really any other instrument besides the harp I think the harp is, yeah. you know, that's like the most difficult instrument in my limited knowledge of, you know, difficulty. What I think harp is probably the hardest instrument to play. But anyway, yeah, when I found out he was a French horn player, my brain just was like on fire. I was like, of course he was. Like that right. could not make more sense for like him hitting those like target endorphins in my mind. <laughs> like because he... Yep came up just hearing music so differently when he got into French when I, I don't know how it works in Sweden but in America you don't pick up French horn <laughs> first but it seems like he must right. have picked it up first which truly could not have been more of a blessing for all of us and really kudos to his music <laughs> teacher whoever was like sure dude here's the horn go forth like I think really like he was it was built in him already but him getting that instrument like nurtured this incredible I mean in my opinion nurtured something really incredible within him that made him hear things just so differently than all of us will I mean it's already built into him how amazing he is but I don't think that just like didn't surprise me it was just like of course of course you did right well I mean that New Yorker article is awesome it's amazing (laughs) just want to mention that and anyone who's listening and is interested, I would highly recommend reading it. And one of my favorite things in the article is how they really stress the Swedish public music program. Yes. Oh, it's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was a really cool and interesting take and angle on the whole conversation is that really the reason that Max Martin is so incredible and prolific and just pure genius is because he had all of this access from such an early age and for free it says in this article he had free private lessons in french horn because of sweden state-sponsored music programs so like not only was he born a genius but he like they like i guarantee they didn't know that and when he was like however old but, you know, having that access, like, like giving kids access to things like that, really, God, what, what are we missing out on not having all kids have an instrument and private lessons in their hand? Like, I don't know. Another awesome part of this article that I really liked is how it talks about sort of how he found this mentorship in um, a, the Swedish DJ who he worked under who did the Ace of Bass songs, mm-hmm. the sign and all that she wants. It's just, it, it runs so deep. Dennis Pop, yeah. yeah. No, fuck it. Uh, anyway, back in it. <laughs> uh, here, 
No, um, yeah, so I guess the, the last thing I wanted to address about Max Martin was the other part of what I think makes him really interesting and also kind of ties into, I think it's, like, every, I, I, I guarantee back in the 90s, people were, like, so convinced that, like, people who are more like anti like in general i feel like in the 90s there were like there was like grunge and then people who were like nirvana who were like nirvana and then they did not like what was yeah. on the radio like that's my like limited view of that because i was like maximum nine in the 90s so yeah like, the i was most not plugged age. into the i was yeah. not plugged into <laughs> sub pop in the 90s and their nirvana catalog the a- our average age between the two of us was eight so, from my limited perspective, it's, like, people who liked Nirvana and people who liked ra- the radio. Like, and, I mean, Nirvana was on the radio, but you know what I mean. It was, like, that was it. And that was, those are very two separate, like, two very separate camps. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people who are more on the Nirvana camp were, like, this music is bad. This music is factory produced. This music is fake. Um, right. Whatever. And I can't fault them for that because it all very it's it sounds like it's coming off of a conveyor belt if you're not familiar with the genius that goes into making something so great that appeals to so many. Yeah. But my point right. being, Max Martin's first language was not English, and based on this article and what we learned is that he would write scratch or he would perform scratch vocal tracks of his songs like to down to the like inflection and the like embellishments in these songs and if you were performing a max martin track and you heard this scratch track you had to do it exactly how he did it there was no room for interpretation uh so like Mm -hmm. baby one more time what we hear from britney is apparently what his scratch track sounded like like she copied it right which on both sides her amazing on him wow like yeah that that's not it feels so organic to me because when you look back at those lyrics they're they make sense they're totally fine like they are they function as complete sentences in english but there's something like slightly off like it's like slightly different than how an, a native English speaker would put those words in order, I think. Um, right. And I think that that's, like, what makes it really special as well. It's, like, something that's slightly off makes it so... You could just latch on to that because it's, like, um, uh, like almost uncanny valley where it's, like, this sounds familiar right. to me, but it's, like, slightly off, and yet I can't uh-huh. stop looking. So it's kind of like how robots freak people out if they're too human-like. Because you know it's like... Lil Michaela. Yeah, Lil Michaela, exactly. It's like she's computer-generated, but you, like, can't... You're, like, attracted to that. It's, like, interesting, but you're, like, a little bit repulsed. But you, like, want to be in... in, You want it to feel that and be closer to it. So that's just something Mm -hmm. else. But I... All of that to say, no, I don't think he had an agenda when he was creating... Like, these amazing songs. I don't think Max Martin was like, I'm going to write evil music (laughs) that makes, that, like, everyone flocks to it. I think that's just, like, that's that's his art. Like, that Fiona Apple video you sent me. It's like, that's just his perspective. This is what he saw. Oh, man. Don't get me started. 
I'm going to get you started. But yeah, that video is amazing of her being like, everyone's perspective is valid, basically. It's just different. And it's not right or wrong. It just is. I love I love her. I love the new record so much. It it really put me right on the ground. I can't stop listening to it. And she she does have an awesome and totally unique philosophy around music and always has i mean that video i sent you i think it's is from, from the early 90s yeah. yeah and she's always had the hottest takes on the music <laughs> industry and and those agendas and the people around her who have those agendas and how to navigate it and i mean she's been in it since she was a teenager so she's truly lived that and i so much respect to fiona apple we love her here yeah I'm not super familiar with her catalog, but I know that I like her already. Just one of those artists that, like, I know that I like you. I'm just really late. (laughs) Like, so late. I have so I have so many of those. A hundred percent fine. I'll I'll add it to our collaborative playlist for you to get into. Don't worry. I need to get into her. But anyway, yeah, I think that that's a good way for us to segue kind of into. What we wanted to talk about, obviously, agenda, what is it? And, you know, in music, in in, in music industry, (laughs) I can't talk, in music industry, (laughs) uh, no, in our industry, in entertainment, it's kind of hard to walk through it sometimes or run through it or fight it with (laughs) with all you can um, and not come in, in contact with minimum of one person who has an agenda and I think this is true in all industries actually I know it is um yeah just yeah just like interacting with someone who has something in mind that they want to accomplish and instead of seeing you as your own individual person who has their own individual goals you're kind of like an element of their game um and and newsflash uh, life is not a game, nor is business. So it's it's just kind of learning to navigate life with people like that around you. And like, how, how much do you play into their agenda? Or like, do you fight it? I don't know. Yeah. And how it, it ties back so much to the conversations we've had over the past couple weeks about what is cool and what is verification and just this this line between deciphering what you want for yourself and what is important for you and what is interesting to you and that sliver of space in between what you want for yourself and what other people want for themselves and navigating and doing the dance of maintaining the integrity of what your bringing into the equation and what it goes back to everything we've been talking about for the past few minutes about these producers and Max Martin and Fiona Apple and Savage Garden and Garth Brooks and the producers and the bands in the eighties and this conglomerate of information and references that they've pulled together for themselves and how they present themselves in an entertainment space. And I think it's so unfortunate whenever people don't hold on to that and don't try to really pursue something that is reflective of their of their honest 
experience and point of view, even like you were saying about the Savage Garden demos you found on YouTube, they really don't sound that different from the fleshed out produced songs. They don't. Yeah. And I think people get caught up in this in sometimes not even their own agendas, but just don't realize that other people around them have these overarching agendas that they're just kind of getting absorbed into and they're suddenly creating things or conducting themselves in business or in social scenarios they're they're just it doing something that is not really coming from a thoughtful or critical place and isn't reflective of what what they actually feel and are trying to communicate and then then that that authenticity is lost in a really significant way because they've been swept up into someone else's agenda without even realizing it. And it's hard to, it's hard to have a gratifying just whether it's a career or a social life or a personal life or whatever, because this, this doesn't just apply to work. It applies to people in their in their lives and their day-to-day lives too. And it's even, even if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody and you feel like you're being lost in their idea of what that relationship should be, that's, that's, that's an agenda too, Mm -hmm. whether or not that person realizes that they're projecting that agenda onto the other person or not, it still exists. And it's, it's a interesting, um, it's just, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about and reflect on because I think it does apply in so many different contexts in life and being able to sort of, again, think critically about something and and look at something and not take it completely at face value and think about it and just be honest with yourself about how you're feeling towards something, again, whether it's professional or otherwise, and being honest and staying true to yourself in that it's it's really hard to do a lot of the times but the more that you make it a priority to really examine a situation and be thoughtful towards it the the easier it is to sort of um just interpret how it's how it is feeding you whether it's feeding you in a in a positive or a negative sense and i think I think as you become more mature and being able to navigate social settings and scenarios, um, the better you're able to sort of suss it out. And I think a lot of our conversations have, have pretty significant crossover between personal and professional because the entertainment industry is so social. So it can, it can get kind of, blurry yeah. a lot of the time and I think when so. I think of agenda I usually think of people who have like you were saying have something in mind that maybe they haven't they don't want to communicate because they either know it has no like real virtue to it or they know that it is solely selfish to them and either way that is not great and I was talking to my roommate about this. Um, it's it's the same kind of like emotional. I hate to say it, but it's abuse 
when people blow hot and cold, it's like when when you go through cycles with someone emotionally, whether it's a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, coworker, family member, whatever it is, where like you can almost count the days between when it almost feels like the person you're struggling ha- have like struggling with it's have like they almost let their guard down it's like they they let you see for a second that they have an agenda that you are just a part of and you're not serving it in that moment and it's just like this clockwork of like any day now i know that this this is too good to be true like you're gonna blow up at some point you're gonna I'm gonna upset you and you're gonna think you're gonna try to blame it on me even though I'm like literally riding your wave like I'm fully on your wave because you seem to have something very important that you want to accomplish but you're not sharing it because again like I said you either know that there is no good virtue to it or you know that it's solely self-serving and so disclosing your goals would make everyone around you be like all right well fuck you you know like that that that's I mean that's from my experience of of the way I've been interacting with people in my life in the past uh where I you know you know something is amiss but you can't put your finger on it and there's really no evidence to to lock in and kind of be like this exhibit a b c d is why I feel this way because it's usually just someone getting upset with you about something that you couldn't control or, like, didn't know was going to rock the boat. And it's because you have no idea what the rules are for the game that you're playing with this person. Uh, yeah. Right? Like, you're just, like, at the mercy of this game. You don't have the rules. You're. It's like, there's a card game my cousins and I used to play. I can't even remember the name of it, but it's basically, like, everyone, like, one or two people know the rules of this card game and, like, six other people are playing and, like, you don't know the rules. Like, you just start playing it and, like, you're losing cards and, like, try- you're, like, trying to figure out what the rules are as you go. And in a game setting, that's fun because you know eventually you'll probably yeah. figure it out. But life and business and romantic relationships and friendship, like, you know, the, the tree, like, the breakdown of, like, bullet points of what life is, you know? Like yeah, yeah. that none of that is a game. Like other people are not pawns in a game. So so and specifically everyone has their own personal goals for the most part unless they're just truly just bouncing through life just you know like a like a pinball machine. I mean, I doubt it, but you know, you can't you cannot come at life and the people who you rely on or who rely on you or love you or care for you and expect them to meet these expectations. Like, don't expect you out of others in both directions, whether that is, you know, um, needing something from someone and not communicating it or, uh, you know, yeah, I guess that's the only way to describe it. Like, if so, if you need something out of someone, tell them what it is. Or if you know it has no good merit, then maybe you need to reassess what you want because no one's going to be able to give that to you if you don't tell them and if it's bad. You know, like very rarely does it line up where you meet someone as like who's like congruent to your evil, who's just like, I understand this and you don't have to say anything. Like that's like <laughs> not normal. That's terrifying. I think that that's like what happens with like like Trump. 
Like, oh, right. Yeah. I mean, that is so funny you say that because I was reading an article yesterday and listening to uh, the daily podcast from the New York Times, and the article is called the, "The Quiet Hand of Conservative Groups in the Anti-Lockdown Protests." Because I mean, you and I were discussing this how Trump was firing off these tweets, liberate Virginia, liberate Minnesota, right. liberate Michigan. And all these, these extremist conservatives were going out and protesting the stay at home ordinances because they, they feel, um, they feel this entitlement to, because they're American, of course, <laughs> sure, to sure, sure, be sure. out work, be out in the workforce and, working their jobs and being out in their day-to-day lives. And there were some interesting points about how Michigan has some of the strongest stay-at-home ordinances of all the states right now. One of the examples was saying how some people in Michigan who, who own multiple homes aren't even permitted to go to their second home. They have to stay in one place, which, of course, I get it. Yes, mm-hmm. there is a pandemic happening and people need to protect themselves and protect people around them but also it's people's property so there's this there's this sort of um butting of heads amongst people over we should be able to go to our property and the, the government saying sorry no you can't because this is happening and it's it's really severe and significant so you have to stay home but it's really provoking this this crazy stirring up from people in again the kind of I mean I don't want to say alt right because it's not it it's not a hundred percent that but these extremist conservatives definitely and in this article I was reading is talking about how there are conservative groups these grassroots campa- campaigns and organizations and nonprofit companies that are mobilizing these people and who are connected back to Donald Trump and have just all this, it's so murky and so just uh, cringy to think about how there are people with vested interest in Donald Trump being reelected who are provoking these people to go out and protest these stay-at-home orders so that Trump will be reelected ultimately and that they're just stirring up their base. But ultimately it's putting these people in harm and putting these people at risk. And there are, there are serious implications of going out and protesting. These people are clearly not standing six feet away from each other. They're very, very close to each other. And it's the stoking that's happening. There was one Trump advisor, Stephen Moore, who compared going out and, and engaging in these protests to Rosa Parks and oh is tell, telling people, yeah, is telling people on his podcast or on his interview series or whatever that it's it's American people's responsibility to go out and stand up for liberty, their liberties in the same way that Rosa Parks did. And that's what this this Trump advisor is saying. And it's exactly like what you're saying, though, that it is this evil and this, we don't need to make this, this is not a political podcast. Let, let me just quickly digress. But it goes back to the, the topic of the agenda and 
there are people, this, one of these grassroots com- campaigns and organizers who Freedom Works, it's called, they have 40 employees working remotely to encourage people to go out to these protests. 40 people. That is not a lot of people. When you think about how these 40 people are responsible for pushing an agenda that is ultimately a huge disservice to democracy and to the the public health of people, it's fascinating and incredible to think that they're, and we've seen it before with Donald Trump being elected in the first place, there's this loud minority that can really dictate policy this this New York Times podcast was saying and it, it's so it's so interesting and important and kind of goes back to what I was saying before about why you really do have to think critically about these things and about how you're consuming information and where it's coming from and make sure that you are not being blinded by these completely um, just dark motives that do exist and if you can just open your eyes to it and be critical again, then you can avoid so much hardship for yourself. Um, again, not a political podcast, just some observations we've made on like our, on our own. But um, yeah, I mean, I read today and my roommate, again, she works in, she's a data, political data, data journalist. So she teaches me mm-hmm. a lot of information and she sent me something today that they tested like about 3,000 New Yorkers and found that 13.9% tested positive for coronavirus antibodies, which is like an incredible sample size, you know, for New York. Yeah. Like if you scale that up, it's a lot of people. Um, and it, what does it say? If those rates hold for the state's 19.5 million people, then about 2.7 million people in the state had the virus. Numbers that are multiple times higher than the official state counts, which, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, my coastal eliteness, I don't want to assume everyone's ridden the subway at rush hour in the morning or at night, but it's a pretty gross experience, especially if it's raining or humid <laughs> yeah. and there's no air on. I Ugh. mean, you're packed yeah. in there with people and you're all like breathing in each other's mouths and then, you know, how many millions of people ride the subway a week? I don't know, but a lot. It's no doubt. There's no doubt. The subways are literally like the tun- the germ tunnels. Like, Oh, it's just a cesspool. It's a cesspool, even when we're not in a pandemic. Like, I'm sure we've all had some kind of illness that's truly come from being riding the train. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah. back to all the times I've, like, ridden the train or touched an ATM or done anything and not washed my hands and then immediately just like functioned as if I were safe it's I mean we all did and I think that that's not I'm not a you know biologist or a doctor so I don't know this but I feel like that's you know it's okay to function that way in you know small quantities and that's how you build immunity that's how we stay healthy as like a species is by exposure but yeah, I don't right. think that this is the same thing. This is not like a new cold. This is like people dying and overloading our healthcare systems, overloading unemployment. Yeah. Like this is different. And to just be ignorant to that and, and listen to people whose agendas are purely in favor of one person, Ugh, not yeah. not a group of people one person it is yeah i think 
I think it will just continue to see how it plays out. I mean, it doesn't seem like these protests or these initiatives by those conservative campaigns I was mentioning are slowing down. I feel like they feel they feel more enabled than ever after seeing well obviously Donald Trump has enabled them with his tweets but it it's that's not the only thing I, I again not a political podcast but I do think it's important to talk about the state of affairs and how it all ties into the agenda yeah well the other side of it is also people who tend to have their own agenda for whatever they want whatever their goals are you know whatever they want out of life, I guess, or the current situation that they are in, uh, usually also project that onto other people, um, in my experience, uh, assuming that you, you know, if someone comes at you about something that is so, like, not your character or, like, not the way you actually meant something to be said or did or your actions uh i think that comes from a person who is expecting you out of them you know that's just with anything in life if someone is nasty to you it's usually how they feel about themselves or you're or like or just whatever's going on with them but i think specifically as it pertains to the agenda topic you know i've had situations often and I don't know if it's my instinct is to want to blame myself for that because maybe I haven't been explicit enough about my you know manifesto of like what I want to achieve in my life even though I think I'm pretty clear on that with anyone who's close to me and yeah in any way I think it's pretty obvious but you know whatever my you know again my instinct is to blame myself when people seem to assume the worst out of me but I've noticed that sometimes people assume your actions are in either in a way that is specifically angled at them or is specifically angled at, in a way that is to hurt them and benefit you. Um, and I, every time I've ever dealt with that, anytime I've had someone kind of assume that about my character or my actions, it's really frustrating because... You know, you can't really defend yourself if someone's made up their mind about what you, what they think you did or said um, about in a way that could have affected their life or something because clearly they, they must do that to people. They must operate in a mm -hmm. way where they have all these expectations out of people and then and then you know if someone doesn't meet that or or if they do things to hurt people to get something that they want, you know, they, that's how they perceive the world is people who who operate on a wave of like, I will hurt anyone if it means getting what I want. I will do anything to get what I need to get. And I I know that you and I don't operate that way. So it's just I know a lot of people probably feel this way, too, where you, you know, maybe I have someone in your life who consistently you can't avoid for whatever reason whether it's a friend mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, coworker or classmate or roommate or family member or relationship you're in, whether romantic yeah. or just intimate in some way, um, where you're, it feels mm -hmm. like a little bit unavoidable and, and they seem to yeah. continually expect the worst out of you. It's like, well, 
it's hard in the moment because you care about this person but at the same time you have to be like why do you think so lowly of me that I have it out for you and then also in the other you know it's in one hand in the other hand you have to think maybe that's how this person operates and I should reassess my proximity to them because yeah yeah because they clearly have a list of goals in mind that they think everyone does and you know for the most part, in, in my experience, in my opinion, this is not Bible or law, just my, me, <laughs> I feel like most mm-hmm. people genuinely have goals they want to achieve, but they don't go about it by using other people to get there. And yeah. and I think it just it stands out when someone acts that way, whether they're coming after you and assuming the worst from you, or that they you know, kind of blow hot and cold, like I mentioned, or go through like cycles of Mm -hmm. like how they treat you. I think that that is kind of an indicator that "Mm, this person, their motives are probably not in anyone's best interest, but their own. It is so hard to see. I even think about what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation about Max Martin and the pop music and how you're exposed to that. And I listened to Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys and those songs were embedded in my brain and I had the pathways formed to know that that was the music I liked because that was the exposure I had. And it's the same with being exposed to these types of people and these types of just forces and people who are self-serving and selfish and trying to use other people you can't, it's so hard to even see and distinguish where that agenda is coming from. It's, it's just the exposure and you, you can slip into a place where you just are constantly being fed this agenda or this energy from somebody and you don't know why they're treating you a certain way or using you in a certain way or whatever they need emotionally you can't give it to them and like they again like I mentioned they don't disclose actually what their needs are like and even if they did they like usually will flip it on their on its head when you do deliver exactly what they ask for whether it's emotionally or you know whatever they needed if if you deliver that it will still be wrong because they don't they didn't actually tell you they can't. They literally have no capacity <laughs> to tell you exactly what they want. They don't know. Either they don't know or they can't tell you because there's no good reason for it. It is a paradox, but I think, you know, the people, like you were saying, I do also believe, like you were saying, that the vast majority of people in the world are just trying to accomplish what they want to accomplish coming from a sincere place. And even those people who were at these protests, it's, do I agree with them ideologically? Absolutely not. But I don't, I don't necessarily think they're all evil or terrible. Not at all. They believe something because they genuinely believe it. And that's, that's the hardest part is you can't, you can't reason with someone who is so set on being like, I know what I, I know this is true. Like, I believe this firmly. Like, they don't want to hear it. They, they can't be like, oh, maybe, oh, that's interesting. Like, there's nothing interesting anymore. It's like, they want to hear what they want to hear. And they want to say that they know yeah. what they know. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that's when agendas go especially bad is whenever it has expanded beyond control again. You know, we've, we've talked about that in the last two episodes. Once you just can't control something and it's just completely mutated and taken on a life of its own, um, you got to be careful mm-hmm. with what you're what you're allowing yourself to believe as true and take as um, a real black and white agenda. You got to you got to be careful. And it's, again, worth exploring and thinking about and just, again, being critical over in this time because it's it's happening as much as it's ever happened. But there's I think people are just being allowed the the space and the exposure and access to digest it and really really try to understand it if they want to i mean i was even looking at the new york times article i was mentioning and a lot of publications and not to say the new york times is a totally fair and honest and unbiased publication i don't i don't necessarily um believe that I don't I don't have a strong opinion over that I really have only been trying to pay attention and consume the associated press news because it is a totally non non-for-profit source of news which I appreciate um but all that to say the New York Times they've taken their paywall down a lot of different publications are doing that so there is an opportunity for people to really pay attention if they want to you know, and, and access different sources if they want to. And I think, I think that's the only way people are going to break through these agendas that exist is by acknowledging that there are ways out there to not stay insulated because you, you have to know and be a person in the world. I think that's something I, I try to be really careful about in the conversations we have. Like, Obviously, you're still go- there's going to be so much crossover in society with the people you meet and the things you, you see and the actions you are exposed to and watch transpire, but you can still exist in that environment and have your principles and be centered and know, know what you know and be firm in that belief. And I think, I think there's, again, just a good opportunity for people to really break through those agendas right now. So it's, it's interesting to think about and talk about. The last thing I wanted to say was just that we both discovered um, this paradox um, by uh, ye old Socrates um, as, <laughs> as, uh, as was apparently carried on through Plato, but, nor there um it's it was one of those things i i think i found from googling you know when you're like a google hole and you're like looking for something so specific like so particular to your current situation and then you find like you know socrates said it or something and then you realize that (laughs) that everything is everything ms lauren hill you know what i mean like there is an answer to almost everything we've ever felt and everything we will ever feel which is so actually comforting but i don't remember how i got to this paradox do you remember i don't i really don't 
No, I don't know. No remember. idea, but I remember it was so fluid from like whatever we were talking about. It, it honestly we were probably just rattling off about Savage Garden and somehow I was like, mm-hmm. I have a really good idea of what I want to Google. Anyway, so it's the Socratic paradox, which is I know that I know nothing. This is technically a shorter paraphrasing of Socrates' statement. I neither know nor think that I know. Um, and that's Plato re like paraphrasing, I guess, something that his mentor told him. But right. yeah, there's no like real account of Socrates ever saying that. So I mean, whatever. Whether it was like Plato's like pipe dream, either way, it is from it's from a source <laughs> that I trust. <laughs> Pla- Plato's pipe dream. Plato's that pipe is... dream. That is that's our nineties someone... band. That's our girl band. I was gonna say someone needs to name their no, band it's us. or record that. That's <laughs> sorry, it's us. <laughs> that's us. Never mind. I take that. Don't back. take it. Plato's pipe dream. That's, that's that would have been like our yeah. sixpence none the richer, but that's us. Damn. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I am with it on the Socrates uh, paradox for sure. I think, I think it's true. And I think a lot of this agenda funny business could be squashed <laughs> if people would just, if people would just accept the fact that no one knows anything. Literally I mean, nothing. Like, you have the knowledge from your experience and life that you've been exposed to. But, but that's it. But you can't it. be expected. Yeah, you can't be expected to know anything beyond that. And we're all just learning and trying to get by. And it it's okay to be in that place. And yeah. I know, I know, and it, I, it's a similar sentiment to what you said a couple weeks ago in the What is Cool episode about how some of the most interesting people who once they let their guard down to you feel so cool or subjectively cool, it, you are, enjoy your time with them. Their presence is enriching whenever they're just themselves, but can ultimately get so caught up in, in the, I don't know, just in, in a scene or in an agenda in this case. And I know so many people like that too, who have gotten caught up in an agenda and can't, could never stand to admit that they don't know something and it's such a shame because if people would just let that guard down and accept that they are who they are and that is enough not to be again this is not a heady podcast 420 you know it's 420 week but Is it? What day is it? I don't even know what day it is. I don't know anymore. Or <laughs> April 23rd, only because it's at the top of the spreadsheet. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, you know, if people would, would just let themselves be and really listen to who they are in a way that is honest and vulnerable, I think that I think we'd be in a better place as a as a society once again. And I, I it's it's sad to see these huge uprisings of people who are so um misguided that's the only way i can describe it misguided and motivated by a fear i guess yeah um and i think the fear comes from this resistance to the not knowing paradox that we're talking about yeah yeah be who you are and you know be who you are 
Be who, be so. who you are, man. That's a great, that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone I, said that before. No one, someone's definitely said that. That's like on a placard at TJ Maxx, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at Dis- it's definitely at Disney World. Yeah. Magic Kingdom or something, but, oh, yeah. you know, we're, we're keeping it simple on 420 week. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I know that I know nothing is so freeing i think (laughs) like being able to look someone in the face and then being like so certain of themselves and you being like i don't know what you're talking about not to like gaslight them but to just be truly like i don't know what that is and i would love for you to explain more to me about that i mean i think about like scientists like they can't ever they truly are so excited that they don't know everything their meaning right. is lost if they suddenly know everything. But even that's just like not. Yeah, I think that we are social scientists, not sociologists, social scientists, yeah. because we you and I and anyone who's listening to this, I also think is a social scientist. We are open to to new things and being wrong and that is so healthy being able to be okay with being wrong about something is so healthy like I'm anticipating we've been wrong and will be wrong about something on this podcast and I am not too proud to back down because I can say with confidence hey in the moment that's what I thought was true or in the moment that is what I felt was true like whatever it is And just being able to be like, and now I know better. Now you've taught me. Now I've learned and I can continue forth in my life with something new. Or or if I wasn't wrong and we just disagree, I still know that, you know, the other side of whatever I said. So I think that... Yeah, it's just really hard. I can't imagine being like like thinking of myself as like a hard stop on anything. Like if someone said to me like, wait, like you know, I'm trying to think of, like, something I feel like is so true. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Someone was like, actually, Max Martin's not, you know, a biblical-level producer because (laughs) it was all uh, fake because he's a a computer and a machine and it's not real and it really is factory-produced and blah, blah, blah. I would be, like, pretty upset to learn that. But mm-hmm. I also wouldn't be, I would be like, that's interesting. Tell me more about that because it sounds really yeah. crazy and I would love to know about this computer man. You know, <laughs> like, I wouldn't be like, you're yeah. wrong, 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 wrong. You're stupid and I'm going to go protest in the street about it. Like, right, right. Just tell me what I don't know and I'll, you know, thank you is what I say. Thank you for that. Yep. And that's the real. I feel like we covered a lot of shit about them just now. Yeah, we did really. I think that'll flow right in. We got that fade going. Yeah, girl. I can do crossfades automatically (laughs) now, and I don't have to manually figure it out. Fuck yeah. Fuck Fuck yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to to mention about how we were talking about this like a month or so ago now um, when we had our 
Well, we've had a couple of long breakthrough phone conversations, but one of the ones that I was thinking about referencing was when we were chatting about ideas and how one of the things I really love and value about working in the entertainment industry, because I feel like you and I are tearing it apart a lot of the times, but there are it has its, it has its redeeming qualities. And even as we sit here and talk about Savage Garden and Backstreet Boys and Max Martin, et cetera, et cetera, those are things that we love and we care about so dearly, but there is also a dark underside of everything. So we, we, can't, we tend to sort of discuss in a, in a social scientist capacity, like you were saying, um, we, we tend to really scrutinize the, the bad parts. But one of the things I do think is so great about the entertainment industry and music specifically um, is how it really is just ideas that people are creating and bringing out into the world. And it's obviously been capitalized and turned into a business per it being called the music industry. But I think there's something so great and wonderful about coming up with ideas and being able to put those out into the world. And like you were saying about scientists, how they, um, how they live their lives, just being so happy and inspired by the unknown and wanting to figure it out and investigate it. I think in music, it really is the same notion that it's, it's an idea being pioneered and discovered and just extended upon. And if people could, could see it from that angle and that perspective, I think it could just be a healthier, more um, dynamic place. That's all I wanted to say. It's a great point. It is no, it's important I think to also address that like we've chosen this career path um because we wanted to be as close to the action as possible. I guess that's the best way to describe it. I mean, that's that was my intention. I felt that I yeah. I felt I had something to offer and I felt that my perspective was valuable, you know. It's I I think I said this on here. Maybe I just said it to myself. Having Having uh, a healthy amount of ego is important to being a fully rounded person. So when I say I think my perspective is valuable, that's just having like, I'm a, I'm confident, and I don't think that that's like arrogant anyway. I think being yeah, I think being <laughs> self respecting is is a it's healthy. Thing. It's so healthy. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, at 21 years old, I was an idiot. We all were, yeah, but yeah, but I you are you are who you are, and I I think that I used to have like. I still have really good conversations with my friends about music, obviously. Hi, Aubrey. Um, But (laughs) I remember them being, when I was younger, you know, again, just like so open to discovering new things and reading things and like, even like my tangents on the internet, like I'll text Aubrey like 15 times in a row minimum sometimes if I like (laughs) come across like some amazing factoid about whatever we're talking about that just like spirals into so many other things and I don't expect her to respond or like fully digest all of it but I just like it's like a work in progress for me and I'm never settled but yeah Yeah. we, we we joined this industry because we thought our perspectives were valuable we thought we had something to offer we thought we had something that could benefit the artist um and that that gets lost as you get a little older not lost maybe pushed aside maybe you get jaded maybe you get a little bit like awake to 
the darkness, the dark underside, like you said. But mm-hmm. and I think that us addressing it is, is also a healthy and normal and and a, an observation, like you've said, and a critique to make it better. I think what we're doing is trying to offer information and the, and again our our perspectives that obviously we have a podcast what more of an ego inflation <laughs> could you need if you feel like you have a point of view than recording yourself talk yeah and publishing yep, yep. it like that i mean mm-hmm. anyway okay game time woo, woo, woo. let's do it let's fucking go which one should we do um, first i feel like we do them in the same order every week but we just act we? like we don't know what the order is <laughs> can't you can't you chop and screw it if, if you really want to <laughs> yeah i can but i think it's funnier when we're like what should we do first and we're like words <laughs> we, always, <laughs> we, always, we always do it first no i don't think we have i think we've done the stats first i think the only thing we've always done last is say something no one has ever said before because that's usually the funniest that we have to save that for last yeah i i like that last. i feel like we should do the words first then the stats because it's like short long uh-huh short yep yep okay yeah. cool yeah let's, let's do let's do the words first and you read to me first this time because don't I act like you don't know my words this time Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't realize I was getting vocabulary lessons on this podcast. I did not know what an amulet is, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Like, <laughs> just, you know, I was not reading books with, with that verbiage in them. Ever, I gotta figure out point. where, which movie, and w- or what book I learned that in. Because <laughs> it was definitely when you I was what? little, because I was like obsessed with like like precious gems and like because i watched like a unicorn movie i don't know my friend used to tell no, me I get it. my friend used to tell me that um that rainbow bright lived in the woods behind our house wow behind our houses awesome. it was like oh and i remember fully believing her i was like it's she does she you're right <laughs> same- so so sick that she lives there <laughs> It was the same girl who told me about the Backstreet Boys. What am I gonna do? Call her a liar? Like we gotta get we gotta get her on this podcast. She's a she's a legend. She has lived an amazing and different life, and I need to find her. But yeah, um, yeah, she was like Rainbow Bright lives in the woods. So we're gonna pack up the wagon, and her, their their dog's name was Maggie, and we tied Maggie uh-huh. to the wagon. And we were going to go see her, and then somehow the plan got foiled, and it's probably because she realized it was not true. That, I'm sorry, Elena, that is fully Slenderman vibes. Rainbow Bright is not Slenderman. Rainbow Bright was amazing and had a rainbow horse with a rainbow tail. This is No, but going to see Rainbow Bright is the same as the kids who were like going to see Slenderman. Yeah, no, the kids who murked. No, no, no. No, it's not the same because Slenderman told people to murder. And Rainbow Bright said I don't know why I'm laughing. Rainbow Bright said, "I love you. I want to share my horse with you." So that's not the same. I don't know what you know, but it's not that. So I don't know. All I know is that young children went on voyages to find Slenderman, and that sounds like what you were doing with Rainbow Bright. So, do you even know who Rainbow Bright is? Of course. Okay, well then, don't act like she's a murderous long man. <laughs> 
No, I said Slenderman vibes. I didn't say that Rainbow Bright is Slenderman. So anyway, moving right along. So the word games. Are you ready? All right, hit me with the words. Yeah, let's do it. Saber. Light. Eureka. Gold. <laughs> Satchel. Purse. My pen's fucked up. Uh, Tailspin. Airplane. And pineapple. Sweet. Mm, okay, that's it. Okay. That was fun. Eureka, that was a good word. Thank you. I was thinking of Eureka's Castle. Do you know what that is? Mm, I don't know. Was it a cartoon from, or like a puppet it- show or something? It was a cartoon. I don't remember. It- See, apparently I don't even remember, so. It makes me think of the dog food. Isn't there a Eureka, Eureka brand? <laughs> I feel like I remember I'm not tapped like, a into dog food, but probably <laughs> I'm really not either. I do not have a dog. Um, you said that anyway. like I don't have a dog. Me, <laughs> dog. Think again, little me. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, aloof. Pillow. <laughs> Bark. Twain. <laughs> Green. House. <laughs> Stick. Robin. <laughs> Clear. Eyes. Okay. Clear eyes, full heart. Can't lose. <laughs> Wait, what did, you, what did you say for bark? Twain. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> if it's if Mark Twain was a dog. We were just talking about dog food, so you you really struggled with the loop. I know, because I thought of a cloud, but my brain was like, that does that object doesn't have a word. But you know what yeah. is like a cloud? A pillow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, that was good. That was really good. I love Bark Twain. That's such a good dog name. <laughs> That's another band name. So we have Bark Twain and then Plato's pipe dream oh my plato's pipe dream gets me so excited because i know what that band sounds like it's like my bloody valentine mixed with savage garden (laughs) oh i love that band (laughs) i love that band (laughs) so exciting cutting edge um okay so next is stats right i don't know i guess i guess we'll find out (laughs) counter down okay three two one silly <laughs> oh my god, I said it! So funny. Okay, um, let's see. You go first because I went first last time. Yeah, mine's not even. I have no details other than what it okay. is. That's fine. I'm just like warming up. Okay. <laughs> um, approximately forty thousand Americans are injured by toilets annually. Whoa. Yep, that's, 40, that's, forty thousand. That's where that starts and ends. I have nothing else to say about that. Whoa! What did did you did it say anything? Where did you get that quote? Or why do I keep saying quote? Where did you get that stat? So here's the thing. I didn't write down the source, but I feel like if I Google <laughs> that phrase, I'm I'm this week's assistant. So let me look. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Injured by toilets. Uh, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Oh my god! There's a whole Wikipedia page. Toilet-related injuries and death. Oh, man. 
got in the fucking <laughs> the picture on Wikipedia is just you know how there's like always a picture on the right side. It's just a yeah, picture and it says a toilet. I have to send you a screenshot. A toilet. A toilet. Um, yeah, so it's from Wikipedia. Is that good enough for you? Yeah, no, that's fine. I just was wondering if there were any examples of how people are injured or if you got any information beyond that. So there are different categories of injuries by toilet. There is, there is accidental Injuries caused mm-hmm. by animals, self-induced oh. injury, exploding toilets, and historical deaths. Okay, your turn. <laughs> so my silly stat is I learned that the largest type of butterfly in the world is called the Queen Alexandra's birdwing, and it has a wingspan up to one foot. How many? One. A butterfly that has a butterfly. I want nothing to do with that. Can you imagine seeing a one foot wingspan butterfly coming out? No, it really grosses me out. Absolutely not. Queen Alexandra's birdwing is what it's called. It says this tropical butterfly is from the rainforest in northern Papua New Guinea. The larvae eat the pipe vine, a vine which contains poison. This makes the butterfly toxic to predators, which will get sick if they eat it. They quickly learn to leave these huge butterflies alone. (laughs) It's a poisonous giant butterfly. I hate it. It said the its flight pattern is slow and erratic, just to give you more more details. I just am (laughs) so uncomfortable. Can you believe that? No, it's I don't clumsy know. and poisonous <laughs> and large. How scary. I. It's like, here's the thing. I like looking at videos of those giant bats. I think that they are cute. I don't mm-hmm. think you agree. I think you don't like them. I feel like you would probably look at a video of this butterfly and I literally can't. <laughs> yeah, I would. No. It's, it's definitely upsetting, but... You know, now you know that that exists out there in Papua New Guinea. So okay. if you if you ever find yourself in that region of the world, you know what to expect. I'm going to need so. a big ass, big ass cage around me. Is that? <laughs> no, I don't think so. With Bubble Boy over there. So. I don't think so. <laughs> Who is Queen Alexandra? Why did she get to name this butterfly? She probably was like a bad bitch. So they were like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, let me no. You know what? She was probably really tall and really clumsy. And they were like, yeah. So we got the perfect name. for. We got the, we know exactly what we're going to name after you. And she's like, what is it? What, what do you have? And then it's, uh, they're like, we found this butterfly. It, she's gorgeous and graceful <laughs> and totally safe to everything around it. Mm-mm. And we're going to name her after, we're going to name the species after you. And she's like, wow, me? And then she like runs into a wall because she's huge and erratic and also right. poisonous. Queen Alexandra's like birdwing. It. It's not about liking it. It's just about... <laughs> 
You don't no have to way. like it. <laughs> Just know it's there. <laughs> Imagine if that came out of the toilet and killed you. Oh, no. Yeah. You open your toilet uh-uh. and that, that erratically flying, <laughs> stupid <laughs> butterfly. What? It's just like, hello! <laughs> what is a slow, erratic butterfly? I can't even believe that that's how they describe this thing. That's that. Um, moving right along to something no one has ever said. Yeah. You go first. Ahoy? Hallelujah? Bravo, Ted. You've created a cursed church for pirates. It looks like a Bed Bath & Beyond in the Beetlejuice universe. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, <laughs> ahoy, hallelujah, bravo, Ted. You know, like, you did it again. Like, Ted can't just do what he's told. He's got to go the extra mile. So no one's ever said that before. Thank you. That was truly unique and special. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Okay, your turn. Okay, mine is on brand. I said, the Monopoly rulebook has a clause that Rich Uncle Pennybag's favorite song is Crash and Burn by Savage Garden. Therefore, Darren Hayes has an unlimited supply of get-out-of-jail-free cards and has never lost a game of Monopoly. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Someone published that in the Monopoly rulebook. It's true. That they, has to be it, true. It is in there already. Okay, great. Oh, actually, no, it's not. Because if it was, I wouldn't have been able to say it. But right. it should be. It should be. We need to call up Monopoly.com and tell them. I feel as though Darren Hayes will come on our podcast one day and we can explore the validity of that claim. Because it is something where, like, you know what, maybe that is Rich Uncle Pennybag's favorite song. Because, like we said already great song elena and i or i don't know if elena if you knew this but i definitely didn't know that the mr monopoly was named rich uncle Pennybags until last week and that that just <laughs> resonated with me for some reason because yeah i mean that's a long and weird name it really does not just roll off the tongue it doesn't at all rich uncle Pennybags. because that's not even a name those are two that's a describing word <laughs> And then his relationship to someone. Right. Is Pennybax his first name or his last name? I don't know. Because I don't call my uncle Uncle Miano. <laughs> He's Uncle Rich. Whose uncle is he? Which, oh my God, his name is Rich. <laughs> his name is Rich. Is your uncle Mr. Monopoly? Is that what you're telling me? Honestly? And that's what no one's ever said before. So thank you, Darren, for all of your inspiration this week. This is actually thank just you, thank a you. Savage Garden fan club now. It always was. It always we just was. Slowly crept at, crept out of the shadows. Yep, after this episode, it's only <laughs> Savage Garden. Deep cuts. And... Moving forward, don't even listen if you don't even listen to this podcast until you've watched the I Want You video. Because yeah. as a blanket statement, you don't understand anything I have to say to you. It's honestly If you've true. never watched that. We are not the same. That video is chaos. Every Savage Garden video is chaos. Organized chaos. The I Want You video? What is his head on? It looks like the thing at the optometrist where they blow air into your eye. To test <laughs> the pressure. So, no. So, what he's doing is he's he is broadcasting his face in her house. Uh-huh. 
the white face. He's broadcasting that into her house. Right. And are they're like in the TV maybe and then like at one point mm-hmm. she like catches on to them being in there and they like jump out from everything or yeah. no like something happens to her like she breaks the TV or something and then mm-hmm. they like run out from behind all the equipment and they're looking at her yeah. oh yeah they're in the TV that's what it is and then they realize like oh shit we have to get back to our optometrist <laughs> equipment and the guitar that's attached to the you know the, the barricade <laughs> and we have to we have to perform or she'll, you know, we have to make her love us yep, yep, quickly. Yep, 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 yep. And then we got to go get our get our eyes checked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need my vision checked because <laughs> while I'm here, can someone just take, check my retina? I wonder what his vision's like. Probably 2020. Every 30-year-old e-boy wannabe with mid-length black hair is a Darren Hayes ripoff. So... You're right. I'm just going to leave that there. Some food for thought. Some parting words <laughs> just, with you. Just drop that in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Ah! So I guess that's all. Is there anything else today. we need to say? Is that it? I think that's it. I think I'm going to go. I got nothing else to say. I'm going to 